ask for help, period. When in doubt, ask for help. Your ego is not your amigo. And if your ego is telling you that you don't need to ask for help, you got this, you can do it a lot, you can do it on your own, you know, you don't need, maybe I'm going to look weak if I ask for help on this specific topic. Um, you know, I can just bare, you know, white knuckle it and get through this moment. Um, I've learned that uh, asking for help has put me in the best situations because people love feeling empowered. This is episode 106 of the Neuro Experience podcast. I'm Louisa. I'm your host. Joining me today at Everlast headquarters is Michael Chernow. Very emotional episode for me, guys. Uh, we speak about Michael's journey from birth till now. He is the founder and creator of the meatball shop, Seymour's Seafood, and he's got a, a lot of other different things happening here in New York City, but the most beautiful part of this entire episode is his story that he shared about his beautiful two-year-old little boy, Dakota, who was diagnosed with a very rare brain abnormality. We're going to go into the signs, the symptoms, the diagnosis from the neurologist to the MRI to where he's at today. I hope this pulls on your heartstrings as much as it did with mine. Before I get into it, remember, go and put an Apple iTunes review and tag your Instagram handle. This gets it out there more. I'm excited for 2020, guys, and I hope you're all um, having an awesome December. Michael, I'm so happy to have you in here, Everlast Headquarters. Welcome to the Neuro Experience. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, guys, We um, I've got so much to talk to you about today. It's so exciting. Um, Michael's just shared his story with me, but I'm not going to even get into it. I want to. Uh, I want, I want. you actually, Michael, to share your story because we're going to go into a few things. We're going to go into your diet, your exercise. You're very big on it. I noticed as well that you're, um, you're a whoop fan. Mm-hmm. You go live. I love that. Um, we're going to get into that because I've been on – I've been – using Whoop now for about, I would say, two months. Absolutely love it. It lies about my sleep patterns, but whatever. Uh Um, But the most interesting thing um, and heartfelt thing about this entire conversation is the story of Michael's little boy. So let's get into it, Michael. Why don't you tell us a bit about you and we'll go further. Sure. Um, Well, thanks for having me first and foremost. I... uh, I love uh, anything that talks about sort of optimizing um, life, whether it's through the brain, through the, through the gut, through physical activity, um, and so I'm super excited to be here. Um, you know, I'm a born and raised New York City guy, grew up in Manhattan, um, started working in uh, hospitality at a very, very young age. Um, I, I, for whatever reason, have always had this sort of entrepreneurial drive from as early as I can remember. You know, I was... When I was six years old, I was selling any toy that I didn't want anymore in front of my apartment building. By the time I was nine or 10, I was walking dogs. By the time I was 11, I was walking like 20 dogs in the neighborhood. Um, Got a job at the church rectory in my neighborhood at like 12. And then when I was 13, I landed my first job in a restaurant. At 13? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Laws were a bit different back then. Not really, but they broke them. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I I just always sort of had this, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial drive. But I, but I think ultimately where my skill set resides is in people um, being able to uh, just figure out how to chameleon myself and adapt to most any situation, even as early as that age. Um, because I love people, and I know that uh, 
the ability to the EQ is is super duper important, specifically in my business, but I think in any business mm-hmm. and just today in general, people are really really um, focused on EQ um, because IQ, though it's obviously incredible to have a high IQ, I think IQ is is limiting. Oh, 100%. Look, um, we were, guys, we were just chatting, especially with IQ. Uh, like I said, I, I'm privy to work with a lot of neurosurgeons. And when you talk to them, they are like, they can go into a surgery, they can cut open a brain, they can put it back together, they can fix almost anything. But when it comes to, you know, speaking in person, there's a, it's a kind of a different field for them. So there is a very big difference between IQ and EQ. And I think when you're building a business, when you're building a brand, especially in New York City, um, EQ is huge. I believe the business of business is relationships, period. Yes, yeah. Like, I just believe that. I believe that, uh, you know, for me, I am very conscious of the people around me at all times. I never um, underestimate who I'm sitting next to ever mm. or who's in the vicinity. Um, and I don't pander to anyone. Mm. Um, and that's just been how I've rolled. You know, I think uh, ass kissing is something that is like easily trackable, mm-hmm. right? And um, I don't know. That's just sort of been the way I've, I've done it. So, so I got a job in a restaurant at 13. I fell in love with the environment, um, with the ability to sort of just like, you know, walk up to someone and, and, and create an experience and, and have people uh, feel excited about being in that moment. Um, because, you know, the restaurant industry is like, it's like 560 minute experiences a day. Right, it's so mm-hmm. interesting to think about that. So, you know, if you're doing really well, you're doing 500 covers a day from open to close, and um, and and most experiences at my restaurants are 60 minutes, mm. um, give or take. And so, it's trying to figure out how to make 560 minute experiences awesome, and that's a lot of experiences, right? So, it's a difficult game. However, I think um, just general, genuine, like happiness, honesty, authenticity, integrity. Um, and honesty is 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 really what uh, what people are attracted to, and that's what we do at, at the restaurants, you know. So you've said the restaurants. What are these restaurants for the people who don't sure. really know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so just you know, speeding up. So thirteen to twenty seven, mm-hmm. um, I I went through a lot of my own battles uh, as a kid growing up in New York City, and I was at you know I I moved out of my parents' house at fifteen. I was sort of a, a crazy kid, but I always had a job in a restaurant or a club or a bar. Um, anyway, I uh, when I was 23, I decided to get my life together to really, really just sort of like put a plug in the jug. I stopped drinking. I stopped doing any of the bad news. And I got sober um, and uh, decided that uh, I wanted to go to culinary school. Went to culinary school, got a degree in restaurant management. At that point, too, I also dove headfirst into health and wellness and fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was uh, when I graduated culinary school um, and, and uh, got a degree in restaurant management, I started writing a business plan and I opened up my first restaurant at 28, which was the meatball shop. So open up the first restaurant. We're actually coming up on ten years in February. Um, Congratulations! Thanks so much. Uh, and um, it was a it was sort of a you know it was a big roll of the dice. Everybody thought I was crazy to open up a restaurant that was going to sell meatballs and ice cream. <laughs> but I sort of looked at what people were really asking for, and um, it's it's sort of simple. It, I I like to call it high quality basics. Like I think high quality basics are always going to be. Um, 
where legacy resides, mm-hmm. right? It's like the New York Yankees. It's just, you know what I mean? There, there are brands out there that just do not weather. And the reason why is because it, they're just, there's, it's just simple, mm. you know? Because that's what people want. When you over, you know, simplify something, when you actually go um, and there's so many places right now when you talk about meatballs. Actually, I was, because I'm from Australia, I've come to New York City and there's like crazy things. There's like there, below, below where I live, there's this shop that sells um, croissants. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's not just egg, any regular croissants. There's like a row of them and you decorate them and you just go crazy and it's just like, well, but where's the, it's, you know, I just want a croissant. Oh, we don't have that. You've got to decorate it with about, you know, you've got to put the chocolate on top, then you've got to put this coming out of it. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think also in today's, in today's like super, you know, hyper-competitive, um, New York City specifically, hyper-competitive market in the restaurant space, like people are really thinking about ways to stand out, do something unique, um, you know, and look, the ability to market in the restaurant business is, is is easier now than it's ever been before. Before social media, marketing in the restaurant industry was really difficult because either you had enough money to pay for a commercial or to pay for ads in like the New York Times, um, or you didn't, you know. And uh, and and most restaurants on the smaller side of things, like i.e., not fast food chains, didn't have the money to do that. So you know, word of mouth was very very important, and I think word of mouth still is probably the mo- the most important component to adver- to, to marketing in general. Um, but anyway, opened up the meatball shop, super successful. We raised money after the first one pretty quickly to open up five more. Uh, I did that for about four years, at which point I realized that my skill set is really um, is really best utilized in the in the early phases of of uh, brand conception. I love creating brand. Mm-hmm. I love designing culture and building culture and putting teams of people together. Um, and so I. Um, about four and a half, four years in, I, I really started to get itchy, and I said, you know, I, I, I feel like this concept is is established. We know how we walk, how we talk, how we celebrate, how we mourn, what we, you know, like all those things that define a culture. I felt like my job was really done um, in terms of like what I can really offer, really be an asset for. Um, financials, logistics, analytics, like it's just not my thing. I can do it. I've done it. Trust me. But I'm just not, it's just not where I see myself being best utilized. And that, mm-hmm. that was ultimately what the meatball shop was, was, was turning into a real operations execution business as opposed to like thinking outside of the box, getting creative, taking risks. Mm-hmm. So I, I became passionate about, uh, I've always been passionate about seafood and, and, and fishing. I'm lifelong fisherman, um, but I really wanted to do something in the seafood space. Um, and when I started doing the diligence, I realized that the ocean was in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was just lots of bad news happening in the ocean. And I said, oh man, I don't even know if I can open up a seafood restaurant. It's like sacrilege at this point with the amount of, uh, you know, sort of unregulated things that are happening with depletions of species and all sorts of crazy stuff. And so I said, unless I do something that is as shocking as the meatball shop, right? For me, was showcasing the fish that I grew up catching, mm. which is like non-existent on menus anywhere. Mm. However, they're delicious. They're abundantly um, populated, and they're completely sustainable. But uh, I, I decided to put a menu together with local sustainable species of fish, and um, I called them Concept Seymours. 
I made a deal with my partner, Daniel, over at the meatball shop and said that I was going to zoom out of day to day and really focus on this new thing. I raised some money and I did it. And it was another successful thing. It stands out so much, Seymour's, like the way you've actually designed the outside, the concept of it. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, you've done so well. I think that um, when it comes to food and obviously building a brand, like you said, everything is valuable from your passion to even relationship building. And I, and I just want to pick this out because you did say that word of mouth when it comes to marketing is one of the best forms of marketing. And Most I think, powerful. Uh, I think it's true with entrepreneurship. And what I have found is some of the best relationships that I have now, even some business deals, have come because I met a person three years ago and I managed the relationship in a very authentic manner. And that's what it is. That's what it's about. And I I see a lot of people just, you know, for me, an Instagram relationship is not a, is not a relationship in, in 2020. It's, have we met in person? Have we, do I know your story? Do you, do I know your habits? Do we know? Because when it comes to business, it's, it's just this, it's, you know, it's like a, it's a relationship mm-hmm. and you have to exchange that. And I love opening the conversations up about that. So, um, but yeah, so where are we at now? So you've got Seymour's Meatball so yeah, Shop. So there's six meatball shops. There's one Seymour's. This is 2015. Um, Seymour's opened up to enormous success. Yeah. And, uh, a mentor of mine really took a liking to the brand. Um, he was he was running a very big restaurant company in New York, and well, just actually a global company, but super prominent in New York, um, uh, called La Pan Quotidienne. And uh, I had I had sort of met with Jay once a quarter, once every other quarter over the last three years, just to sort of bounce things off of him because really smart guy. And he wrote me an email ad the night after um, the launch of the restaurant, the opening night. And he said, you know, I told, he was one of the first guys I told uh, told about the concept to and, and sort of shared with him the back of the napkin vision. And he said, you know, you sat with me a year and a half ago and you talked to me about this vision that you had on the back of a napkin and you brought that exact vision to fruition in, in a way that I've never seen anybody do before. Like, I'm like, and I was like, wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, I want to leave my, my company and come work with you and grow this brand. And so that was a pivotal moment in my career where I said, you know, maybe I'm not just like winging it. Mm. You know, maybe, I'm, maybe there is something, something here. You know, maybe this is like, maybe I do have a real sort of talent for, for this thing. Um, because I think as, as an entrepreneur and just sort of anybody that's sort of building on their, building their career, you question Constantly, like, is this like, do I really deserve this? Is this like actually, am I like, is am I winging this? Is this is this a lie? Is it like what, you know? And 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 I've been really fortunate in my career um, to be able to like have have experienced some amazing things, also some incredibly challenging things. Mm-hmm. However, when when he wrote me that email, I was like, wow. Um, it took us some time to work on a on a deal together. I was I'm really reluctant to take on partner sh- partnership because mm-hmm. I believe that there needs to be one vision, one decision mm-hmm. maker um, in a business. And when you have two alphas at the top, um, it it poses a problem. It just does. I mean, it happened at the meatball shop, and also I just knew. Partnering with Jay, who's ten years my senior, has got a lot of experience. He's built big companies. It was going to be hard for me to sort of um, uh, fight for my vision to come, you know, full circle um, 
as we grew together. Anyway, we raised a bunch of money. We ended up making a deal together, and we grew five more Seymours. So six meatball shops, six Seymours. Uh, we built six restaurants together over the course of two and a half years. So Seymours is four and a half years old now. Um, I ran it for a year and a half alone. Jay John has been on since 2016. And, um, and I made a decision about six months ago to... I got itchy. I felt like the brand was was ready for me to take a step back, and I said, "Hey, let's figure out how to how to allow me to take a step back so I can create again." Mm-hmm. I'm on the board as an advisor. I'm, you know, but I, I very recently took took a step back as of uh, pretty much uh, March of last year. I really started to retreat um, and focus on a new concept, and uh, I've got a new concept that I'm hoping to launch in the summer of 2020. That's not well, well, is it? It's not well, 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 well is a is a is a beverage company that I sort of helped put together about okay. four years ago um, with a, with a couple of buddies, and you know, there's a, an incredibly smart CEO at that company. His name is Sagan Schultz. He's an MD MBA. Um, he's just such a smart guy, and we basically gave him a runway to to grow this brand, and he has done an unbelievably exceptional job. Yeah, I'm ex- actually very excited to get more into that with him. Um, okay, so one of the things that I love about interviewing people such as yourself is, you know, you've been able to grow an incredible brand, um, you've been able to escape uh, the challenges that life brought to you growing up, you know, you weren't that misconception that um, we, we hear about in school, you did break through that, um, you went to school, you started, you know, you started the meatball shop, then Seymour's and things were coming to you, but in light of that, I know that with everything you always have a backstory and that is your home life. And you were just sharing with me um, a bit about your family, your wife, your son. And I want you to, um, and I'd love for you to go into that and share with me what you share with everybody, what you shared with me. Yeah, so I um, I've been married now for a long time. I met my wife when I was super young. We met when I was twenty four. She was twenty two, and we got married when I was twenty seven, and she was twenty five. Um, so we've been married now. Uh, I'm thirty nine, so we've been married twelve years, and we've been together fifteen. Um, we waited a bunch of years because we were young to have kids, and so we had our first son in two thousand fifteen. His name is Finley. He's four and a half years old. Um, and then we had our second son in 2017. His name is Dakota, and he's a little over two. Um, and Dakota um, is beautiful and incredible, and um, he is, um, he's got something uh, that, that we're digging into. We don't know exactly what it is, um, but we've spent a lot of time uh, sort of doing research and, and trying to understand what he has going on, but it's definitely something uh, in his brain that has developed um, in a different way. Um, so cognitively, he's totally there and totally sharp and smart as hell. Um, he's, in a, you know, he's in a regular school with regular kids, um, but in terms of his muscle development, he's been very, very slow. So he didn't start walking until he was just under two um, and now he walks around all over the place and he's an amazing swimmer, and, but he's wobbly. So he's wobbly. And he definitely has hyperextension in his joints and he's very, very flexible. And um, uh, 
and uh, and he has this eye thing that sort of he doesn't have complete control over his um, his eyes. They're a little delayed in terms of like when he wants to look a certain way. Sometimes his eyes drag a bit. So we've done a you know we've done a bunch of MRIs and um, we have um, you know we have some potential diagnosis for him um, based around a couple of genes that they've flagged as as mutated um, in his in his gene study um, but they're 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 unable to tell us exactly what to expect so Dakota was born within six months you as a obviously as a parent as a father you were looking at your son and he had a somewhat delayed response visually he was when he wanted to look to the right um, his head would move first and then his eyes would follow which is um, you know somewhat different to the way you know sure. a normal human develops so you thought okay I'll just I'll, I'll take him to an ophthalmologist just check it out the ophthalmologist then said I want to do further study go and see a pediatric neurologist. The neurologist then said, okay, we want to do more studies, go and have an MRI. Now, due to the very nature that your boy is small and young, you have to sedate him to go under the MRI, correct? Correct. Which can be very heartbreaking for any parent. Um, However, you did the MRI, you came back, the neurologist kind of said that there's a there's an abnormality within the cerebellum. Yep. Correct? That's it. And then they're still not able to come up with a definitive answer to what uh, it is. However, you went through and did a, a gene study. Yeah, yeah. So, so the neurologist, um, you know, he doesn't focus on genes. We met with this awesome um, gene doctor who's just, you know, she has a very difficult job, I'm sure, as well as, you know, Dr. Wells, our, our pediatric neurologist, when you have to deliver some news, it's not awesome. Um, you know, in terms of Dr. Wells, he... Uh, he believes based on Dakota's development because he has, at first, it was very scary. They told us that they didn't know if Dakota was going to walk. Um, they definitely, he definitely told us that he is, his, his, his fine motor was going to be an issue. Um, and, and, um, his, um, you know, his overall development was just sort of like this waiting game because they weren't able to really delineate what was going on. Um, and so he suggested, uh, you know, we, we meet with Dr. Lam, um, who, who is this gene doctor at NYU, and she did an extensive gene study called an exome, um, where they take my blood, my wife Donna's blood, and Dakota's blood at the same time. Um, and, uh, and they flag these two genes. One is the SUFU gene, and one is, I forgot the other gene. Um, the SUFU gene is the one that, that is, is, uh, is, is, is significant. Uh, the SUFU gene definitely has, you know, points to, Low muscle tone, um, motor motor issues, um, and uh, a very rare. Um, I guess it's an infant, uh, you know, early early youth potential brain cancer. That mm-hmm. when they told us that, we both just completely, absolutely lost it because he doesn't have it, but he runs a risk, a high risk of getting of of, of developing it based on um, studies that have been reported uh, with people with this SUFU sort of mutation. And because of this, he's now heavily monitored. He is. So he he's so you know, uh, a neurologist thinks that the gene doctor is being a bit overcautious. Uh, gene doctor based geneticist. on his geneticist um, based on the last MRI that we did in August this past August, um, it came up 
nothing has changed based on you know there'd been there'd been nothing to 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 sort of report on um it's consistent with his last mri and so dr wells thinks that it's a little bit aggressive to go every four months for an mri for such a young person it is very aggressive so they're going back and forth trying to figure out what what to do and we're sort of just waiting in the sidelines however dakota started walking he's you know I mean, we were we were nervous because he started preschool and um, or daycare in, in school, and when we you know leading up to it, he wasn't walking, so we were scared that he was going to get in there and just get like stampeded. However, four weeks before he started in September, um, he started walking, and so he's hanging out and he's out there with him and he's developing and you know it's it's only it's moving forward. It's not it's not uh, you know. Uh, a, you know, so far it's not degenerative. So we're, we're just staying positive. We don't ever for a a while there, of course, as you can imagine, it was really difficult. And the Mm -hmm. two of us were both like devastated. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've both come to terms with it and we are just super duper positive. And it is one of those things in life, right? Where, you know, there's a prayer that I was told early on, um, this is a prayer called the serenity prayer and it, and and it says grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference this is something i cannot change I, there's nothing i can do to change it and so the only thing i can do is change my perspective and the perspective from the two of us is our son is beautiful we love him dearly he is incredibly handsome charismatic and um and vocal um he's a little wobbly when he walks and uh currently right now there's no um growth on his brain so we have nothing to be concerned about outside of we're going to give him everything he needs to succeed and uh, love him uh, as much as much as our heart can bear, and you know, and that's and that's what we're doing. So we don't we don't talk about uh, we don't talk about the um, the potential downside of what he has because currently, right now, he's only getting better and better. So with everything that you've just said, with the the amount of stress that this can cause within a relationship, and obviously as a parent, how do you manage that? Um, I know you're a big foodie and you take care of your health and your body. This has um, obviously shocked you in a way where it's probably, has it made you think more about your health? Well, I, I'm also, I tend to be a bit of a hypochondriac. <laughs> Don't um, we all? Yeah, I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. Uh, just yeah. on that note, I was going to say, I get so many people that come through. Obviously, um, I, I'm over at Hudson Medical. I work in urology, and we get so many people that come in. I'm like, what's up? They're like, listen, I had an eye twitch, so then I Googled it. Google told me now I've got a terminal illness, so I've come to see you. It's mm-hmm. like, okay. Yeah. No, no. I've, <laughs> I had about two years ago, I had a real health scare, um, and... Uh, I got all in my head about it, but I ended up, I ended up having some sort of, a, I have, a, 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 there is some sort of autoimmune thing going on that I did an enormous amount of blood work on it. It's, it's inconclusive. Um, I'm ANA positive. Um, and so they're just like, we just got to monitor it. You know, I think, I think it's some sort of a arthritis of some sort, but <clears throat> you know, I, um, there's two things that I, have come to realize um, that point to happiness for me, and I think I think that these two things could potentially be pointed to happiness to anyone. It does not come in the form of cash money. It does not come in the form of car, apartment, you know, 
how beautiful my wife is, um, any of that shit. Uh, what I do know is a direct correlation to the happiness that I experience in my life is the people I surround myself with, period. Mm. And, um, well, let me not say period. The people I surround myself with define the person, how I'm feeling uh, on the inside. And so if I'm, and I've, I've, I've been through um, a bunch of different sort of hills and valleys in life, and when I was hanging out with bad people, I felt really bad on the inside. Um, in, in my present life, I, I surround myself with people whom I love dearly and whom I allow to love me back. There's a big difference between people loving you and then you allowing people to love you. In what my, do you mean by that? Meaning, back in the day when I was up to no good, there were people that loved me, mm. but I could not appreciate it. I did not. Um, I didn't. Uh, I did not retain it. I just would hear them tell me, "I love you," and then there was a part of me that just was like, "Yeah, right, whatever, no." I'm not like I would not accept them um, as a loving, you know, person. Is that because of who they were, or you just were in a state of mind where you just didn't care? When you don't love yourself, you can't love anyone else. Correct. And so, and 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 when you can't love anyone else, you can't let anybody love you. And so that's what I know. That's what I've learned through my experiences uh, in, in life. And I'm I'm a young guy, so I'm not you know I'm, I'm certainly no uh, no wizard, but I I do know this. And, um, and so the people that you surround yourself with are, are actually a true depiction of um, how you are feeling on the inside. And so I surround myself with loving people today. I do love myself. And I put things in my path on a daily basis to give me the opportunity mm-hmm. to consistently love myself. Small wins throughout the day. Yeah. Like fitness. Mm-hmm. Fitness is so one thing I know is a direct correlation to my happiness today is is the people I surround myself with. And the other thing I know is a direct correlation to the happiness I have today is creating little wins throughout the day that allow me to appreciate and love myself. Um, yeah. and that and that comes that comes through fitness and wellness. It's so interesting you said that I um, I actually interviewed a doctor of happiness. Um, she wrote a book about how to be happy. And when I first read the title, I was like, are you kidding me? But it's actually true. We, I think we're living in a world where we have to deliberately, it, it's, it's like science, you actually have to deliberately do things to make yourself happy. So that comes with, first of all, what's going to make you happy internally? Then you have to go and do those things. You can't just walk outside, eat a sandwich, and just expect to be happy and be unconscious to it. And I think when you have little set points, this is how I is how I I, I talk to my athletes. When you have set points throughout your day, it's you, like what you just said. You deliberately at the end of the day, when you put your head to the pillow, you feel satisfied, you feel happy, and then things just come into fruition after that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, you know. Like I like I had mentioned earlier on in the in, in, in our conversation, I um, I from thirteen to twenty three, I was I was a, a, a an alcoholic and a drug addict, um, and you know as was many of the friends of mine who I you know grew up with in New York City, half of which are unfortunately passed on at this point, um, but uh, I, I I I was and. Um, so I had to figure out something that was going to replace the amount of energy I put towards 
playing on the other side of the tracks. And, and for me, that was fitness and, and eating well. Do you feel like fitness and eating well having a direct effect on the way you perform at work? It has a direct effect on every moment of my life that I'm not, that I'm not training. Okay. In a good way. So you train. What type of training are you doing? Currently, I'm doing bodybuilding. Currently, I've like, and I say bodybuilding actually because I have competed in bodybuilding competitions. Nice. And so I, um, and that was not always my thing. I, I trained Muay Thai kickboxing for 12 years that I was deeply passionate about. And I got just sort of like burnt out a little bit. And I was, I had two reconstructive nose surgeries and I just was like, you know what? I'm not going to be a fighter, pro fighter. <clears throat> Maybe I should take a break and come back to it down the road. Um, and so I, I sort of took a break from it about three years ago and really picked up, um, uh, weight training. I love weight training. I'm also a, a, a long distance runner. Um, and, but I've taken a little bit of a break from that as well. Um, I ran the marathon this, not this past year, the year before loved it, loved every minute of it. I've run a few marathons. Um, but you know, for me, um, if, if I was, if I was at the helm of, um, you know, some sort of recovery board Mm -hmm. talking about alcoholism, drug addict recovery, if I was able to rewrite the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, I would I would make sure, absolutely, positively make sure that there was a fitness regimen that that everyone coming into recovery would 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 agree to, um, because I know, along with being uh, you know in sobriety, I would be nowhere close to where I am today had I not taken on fitness and and, and wellness. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't, you know, and and so. And I, and I know like, you know, I know very, I, I know so many people who have pulled themselves out of the deepest holes through fitness. And, you know, you meet a lot of people in specifically in the weight training world, but also in the running world um, that, that have struggled with, you know, eating disorders and, 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 and just, and just sort of depression and, and all sorts of, all sorts of sort of mental illnesses because um, addiction is also a mental illness. Mm. Um, that 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 find this 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 hope in, in 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 winning on a daily basis. I believe that that is a, that that you know. I mean, they, they say you know when you go for a long run, and, you know those endorphins are are real. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they are, but I get those endorphins every single morning when I'm in the gym, mm-hmm. every day. And it, and and I know that once I finish my 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 workout. There's nothing else that can that can that can sort of tarnish my day. I mean, there's things that come up, but I'm able to genuinely focus on the optimism that life has to offer, mm-hmm. and I'm not unrealistic. You know, I'm not like a like I'm not oblivious to negative situations. I actually really appreciate negative situations because my ability to navigate them now. It's gotten so much better. Mm. I actually love, even though it hurts, I've, I, I, I've learned to love the heart and the hurt. I've learned to because yeah. they are a part of life. Yeah. And so being stagnant in them is useless. 100%. I think um, when uh, health and fitness, when I started to train, I was a, I was a triathlete. Um, it was a very beautiful thing because it was back, I was um, 18, 17, 18 at the time, 
we were just introduced to heart rate monitors and I had the, I got a polar watch and I got to wear the strap and I became addicted to performing at my, you know, I was like, okay, my, my coach would say, Louise, I need you to run in the T3 zone. And that may have been like 60, 70% of my max heart rate. So I started to get into it now back then. And now we've got things like whoop, which now we can control, um, our, you know, how many calories did we burn? How's your sleeping cycle? Like, what are you doing throughout the day? I absolutely love that. I love that side of training now. I think that when we can, tra- and that's just because that's a scientist in me, when we can track and measure and see raw data of how we're performing, it gives you that edge. It's like, well, my, you know, it's, te- it's so interesting because it says to me, if you want to perform well, Louisa, you need to sleep eight and a half hours tonight. And it's like, oh, that's great. And I do, and then I do perform really well. And this is a good job. I got to say, (laughs) I've been wearing cheerleader. Good job, Louisa. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great. And I that 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 the whoop for me is. um, I mean, I, I literally I've been wearing it probably. Eight months. Um, I do. I don't take it off ever. Um, I like actually never take it off. I love the data, and I think the beautiful thing about Whoop is it gives you data to actually teach you how to recover better, so that your performance is at a high level at all times. And so I think for me, just like a workaholic, I'm a workaholic at, at work. I mean, I've gotten much better. Um, but I certainly have been known to work like an animal, um, and I'm the same thing in the gym. Mm. I just, you know, I'm, I just am. I'm an animal, and so having this thing on my wrist, rather than tell me to work harder, which it doesn't ever tell you to do, mm. which is pretty cool about the Whoop. It doesn't say, "Oh, you could have done better." Um, it tells you to actually. It tells you how to recover. It teaches you how to be a better um, rester, and I think that is so unique and I think that that's why they really stand out in the marketplace because if I want to perform at a high level you know it allows you to set your your week up um, based on the days that you're going to train and so I currently right now I'm on a Monday through Friday program I actually take the weekends off which is awesome um, but I work out Monday through Friday and so it tells me exactly based on the performance or the output that I put out like today it'll tell me exactly it'll prescribe me what I need to do tonight to perform at a high level or or our higher level tomorrow mm. and I think that's beautiful that's so yeah. cool that they focused on it I think Ahmed Will Ahmed who is the founder of Whoop said I'm going to create the first athletic focused or athlete focused uh, wearable uh, that's going to tell them to chill out. Yeah. And it's so cool because it's so right on. It is because recovery is the best form of training. That's what my coach told me. Um, Michael, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. Um, just in light of the inspiring conversation that we've had, I've loved it. I'd love for you to share um, one piece of advice that you can give somebody to increase their human performance on any level. Um. You know, I've been asked this before, I mean, a bunch of times. I think there is, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to trim it down as best I can. Yeah. There's one thing that's helped me most in my life, specifically as an entrepreneur and, um, and someone who, who, who needs to learn to grow. Ask for help, period. When in doubt, ask for help. Your ego is not your amigo, and if your ego is telling you, 
that you don't need to ask for help. You got this. You can do it a lot. You can do it on your own. You know, you don't need, maybe I'm going to look weak if I ask for help on this specific topic. Um, you know, I can just bear, you know, white knuckle it and get through this moment. Um, I've learned that uh, asking for help has put me in the best situations because people love feeling empowered. And so when someone um, who has had some success or has, has established themselves in a specific industry or just in the world as a potentially successful person asks for help, whoever they're asking feels this sense of like awesomeness and empowerment. And it's put me in some of the greatest situations ever. And so I, I, I just ask for as much help as possible, always. I'm not afraid to ask for help. My pride is tossed out the window all the time. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. I'm much happier to listen than to, than to wait to talk. I just, uh, you know, that's just the, the stuff that I've learned over the years. Ask for, ask for help because um, so few people do. Did you hear that, kids? <laughs> um, all right, I love everything about this. Tell me where we can find more out. Tell me where we can find more about you. Um, I'm just at Michael Chernow everywhere. So everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm even on TikTok. Really? Yeah. You succumb to TikTok? I've yeah, listen. <laughs> yeah, not not a bunch, not a bunch, you know. But my boy Gary V is telling me to do it, listen. so that's it. You know, He's I do found. it. And guys, go and check out the meatball shop. I'm going to go in there, and um, hopefully, we'll have you back on here in the future. And I'm also launching a podcast um, of my own uh, in the new year called Born or Made. Love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>